Welcome to Family Room Discussions, where I open up my family room so that we can talk about the week's lessons from Come Follow Me. I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar, far from. I'm just your average Latter-day Saint seeking to grow my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures. I have found that one of the best ways to do that is by discussing Come Follow Me with others. My hope is that you'll join in the gospel dialogue by sharing what you learn with others. Without further ado, let's start this family room discussion. Sisters and brothers, family and friends, this is episode 50, following along with Holiness Unto the Lord, the book of Haggai and Zechariah chapters 1 through 3 and 7 through 14. Uh, this episode's coming out midweek. There's a reason for that, which I'll get into in a second. But it was fortuitous that something did happen because I was able to learn a little bit more and share a little bit more insight specifically from this lesson, which uh, it's cool and it works out that way because sometimes it's just that it's coming out late. Uh, okay, so I've been working on a project at work that was pretty time intensive, energy intensive, and uh, finally ended yesterday. But due to that, um, it offset my typical kind of planning of when I would record and, and publish the podcast and everything. So that's why it's coming out late. That's the why. Um, the project at work was that uh, the company I work for, uh, everyone at the company is an owner. Um, it's this kind of like employee ownership plan. And uh, it's really cool. Everyone has essentially stock options in, in the company. And, you know, as we work harder, our, the value of our company grows and our stock becomes more valuable. And so, uh, because our company has grown, we, uh, essentially the company, company that owns us, um, paid us, uh, some dividends based off of our, our stock. So that was really cool, but it was a secret announcement and wanted to make it a big kind of surprise. I'm on the communications team. And so we've been working kind of for the last two weeks on both keeping that a secret, but also making sure that we had all the information correct and um, that we could answer as many questions through an email as possible so that we didn't need to uh, pull a lot of people's time on making sure everyone knew what they needed to know. And anyway, it was, it was a big thing, really fun, really cool to be a part of. Uh, <laughs> a lot of kind of late nights working, um, but it was, it was exciting. It really was exciting. And, uh, especially as I've seen kind of through my work network on LinkedIn, not everyone's getting to have that opportunity at their companies right now. Uh, in fact, a lot of people are getting laid off and, uh, obviously some companies just aren't doing as well financially. And so where normally you look for good news during the holidays, uh, not as much good news feels like it's happening across my network. So it's really fun to be a part of a, a company where I'm able to, when I'm doing communication, it's good news. <laughs> it's, it's fun news. So anyway, a little bit of detail of, of why that'll tie in though to something that I, I learned. With that, let's get into the introduction. After decades of captivity, a group of Israelites, probably including the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, were allowed to return to Jerusalem. Some in this group remembered what Jerusalem looked like before it was destroyed. Imagine their feelings as they saw the rubble that had once been their homes, their places of worship, and their temple. To those who wondered whether the temple would ever again uh, resemble the Lord's house in her first glory, the prophet Haggai spoke to the Lord's, uh, excuse me, spoke the Lord's words of encouragement. Be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you. Fear ye not. 
I will fill this house with glory, and in this place I will give peace. But it wasn't just the holy temple that needed rebuilding. In many ways, God's people were spiritually in ruins. And rebuilding a holy place takes more than hewing stones and aligning them to build a temple wall. Today, temples bear the inscription, Holiness to the Lord. And those words apply not just to a building, but to a way of life. Engraving uh, these words on the bells of the horses and every pot in Jerusalem is helpful only if they are also engraved on every heart. True holiness requires that the Lord's words and laws take hold uh, in us, allowing his power to change our natures so that we become holy like him. I kind of feel like I said that last sentence wrong. Let's reread it. True holiness requires that the Lord's words and laws take hold in us, allowing his power to change our natures so that we become holy like him. There we go. I love that line, holiness to the Lord and those who, who, and excuse me, holiness to the Lord. And those words apply not just to a building, but to a way of life. And then uh, this is helpful only if they are engraved on every heart. And I think that's very true. Uh, It's the true two part nature of our gospel journey, which is that it, we not only do need to perform the actions and, and do the tasks laid before us to return to uh, Heavenly Father, but it's also that we need to feel the change. We need to allow it to sink into our hearts and really believe in what we're doing. It's this, it's this two-part process. I feel like that speaks to it. So in the first section, consider your ways. <clears throat> It says there were many important things to uh, to do to rebuild Jerusalem. But after roughly 15 years had passed since the Israelites' return, the Lord was displeased that the rebuilding of the temple had not been given higher priority. As you read in Haggai, consider questions like these. What consequences did the Israelites face because they had not finished the temple? What blessings did the Lord promise them if they finished building his house? You might take this opportunity to consider your ways, to think about your priorities and how you could align them with the Lord's. And so... Uh, This actually is kind of the section that really applied for me uh, this week. And and let me just, let me first share the two scriptures that stood out, and then I'll tell you what happened. So in Haggai chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Uh, Obviously, the the section heading. But I I thought about that as as I was studying and, and reading, and it occurred to me that I really need to prioritize taking time to meditate and to ponder. Um, It is so easy to become a go, go, go and just get in a flow, but then not step back and look at what is going right in your life and what is going wrong. Also to ask yourself the question and to talk to the Lord about it, but are you headed in the direction that is pleasing to the Lord or, or should you be doing something else or looking at things in a different way? Um, this was a good, I guess, opportunity for me to be able to ask those questions because it kind of stuck with me as I read that scripture in Haggai. And then in verse six, it says, "Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye, ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe, ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes." And so, as I was pondering those two verses and. In verse 6, thinking about how there are definitely days where I feel like I'm accomplishing a lot of things, but it just doesn't feel like I've accomplished anything, right? I'm getting a ton done at work or working on the house, um, even spending time with loved ones. 
But then I go to bed at night and I'm like, did I accomplish anything? Did I move the needle in my life at all? And verse six really hit me that are my efforts focused on building the Lord's kingdom? So even if I'm getting a ton done and accomplishing a lot, and I have this checklist that I've gone through in the day and I'm like, look how many things I checked off my list. Look at all these to-dos that I took care of. If in my heart, heart it wasn't set on prioritizing the Lord's will for my life, I'll feel empty, especially that last line. Uh, earneth wages, but earning them to put it into a bag with holes. I'll, I'll, you know, there's money in there, but it's, it's not as full as it should be. And I felt that. I felt that this week, um, even. And so, the the little story that, that happened, the little example, I guess I can share is that I mentioned that been working on a work project that was was intensive and energy energy intensive, and I really wanted to do a good job on this at work. Um, I wasn't spearheading the project. I wasn't, I was just a, a small piece of it. And even with all my team, I was probably the smallest piece on my team, but I really wanted to make sure that I was helping out and lifting other people's burdens, helping to reduce stress and just being a, a great team player, but also bringing value to the company. I mean, it, it, you know, the biggest thing that I noticed was that most of us have no idea what like stock options are or how the stock market affects our lives. Um, I certainly would not even remotely pretend to be an expert, but I wanted to reduce stress because I think when when we hear about things that we don't understand or we don't know, there's, especially in a working environment, I've noticed that we like to pretend like we know more than we do. Uh, it's almost like if we're at church and there's something that someone says that we don't know, it's a little easier to be like, wait, could you explain that? Or, or I don't think I get that. But then when it's at work and someone says something, you just kind of nod and you're like, ah, yes, yes. And then if someone asks you to explain it, you'd be like, I can't. I have no idea what they were talking about. Um, kind of like the imposter syndrome, right? Like we feel like we can't be the person who doesn't know everything. And I don't like, I don't, I don't enjoy watching people have to play that. I feel like I have no problem, um, feeling like the dummy in the room. I have no problem saying, I have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, there, there are certainly times I do, but for the most part, I don't, I don't mind that, but I don't like watching other people kind of having to struggle or suffer, because uh, they don't want to look dumb in front of others. It's a horrible feeling. None of us want to look dumb. None of us want to feel like we don't have the answers. And so I think that's why I really enjoy uh, my role in communications, because I feel like it's to help people not have to feel dumb, to simplify something that could be complex, could be difficult, and then to boil that down into something that then someone could take and share with others and look like the smartest person in the room. That's what I enjoy. And so as I was learning about kind of what our company was doing for us and, and this really awesome, I mean, gift, right? Because I don't know of any other company that makes all of their employees kind of owners have some ownership in the company. And then not only that, but in an economic downturn is able to reward their employees, their associates with uh, like a dividend payout. That's really awesome. But a lot of people had no idea that they were even owners, even though we've explained it a couple times. And so I just wanted to to boil this down. Anyway, 
this this was a very time intensive thing, and the consequence was that I was not at home as much this week. Um, I got home, you know, one night like after seven, and Lex had something, so we weren't together. And then another night, uh, I came home, but then had to go right back to work, and um, Lex had to take care of stuff, so I wasn't able to hang out with her. I didn't really have any time with her. Didn't have any time with my kids. Um, it just, it felt like I was super distant, super part. And when Lex and I got married, one of the first things we prioritized is that we would always make our family number one. But then with that, um, not just saying it, but, but the actions had to match. So time with family is incredibly important to us. Being there for one another, spending time, um, that's the most important thing. Last night, um, Last night, Lex and I had an opportunity to kind of, there had been from some frustrations, right? Lex had been feeling like I had been distant uh, because of work and that I wasn't as, um, like, transparent about what was happening at work as I normally am. And for me, I felt like I was just pouring all my time, energy into taking care of this project at work to make sure it was really great. And um, because it's, if I'm pouring all my energy and time into something, I'm not as just talkative in general. I become a lot more kind of quiet. That's just part of my introverted um, nature. I guess I think I've shared this. I'm a, I'm a social introvert, really high on the social energies. But uh, when it comes, once my battery is spent, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to talk. I just want to be quiet and I want to sit and I want to curl up in a ball and be done. And I think a lot of people are like that, so I, I don't think that's uh, too strange to understand. Um, but obviously, Lex had felt like I was I was distant and was had some concerns that were valid concerns. Um, that as I pour more time and energy into projects, would I forget that promise we had made each other seven years ago? That family was number one, and everything else came second. And so I got home and she was frustrated and I was frustrated because I felt like I had had a stressful day at work and finished a huge project and just wanted to celebrate by not talking to anyone, <laughs> wanted to, to just go and, and be by myself. And on the flip side, she had felt like I had been already distant from the family for a few days and not even a few days, but a couple weeks and that I was forgetting our priorities, our family priorities, not just you know, individual priorities. And so as there was this t t tension between us for a little bit, um, I realized that really what I needed to be reminded of is that we're on the same team. And Lex and I will do this for one another. We'll remind each other when we get frustrated that we're on the same team. Because it's so easy to feel like, you know, it's me against you. It's a really easy feeling in any relationship to feel like. And so um, I went to her, we went to talk about it for a little bit, still frustrated. And then I just said, I, I gave her a hug and I said, Lex, we are on the same team. And both of us got emotional because again, life can get really <laughs> hard. Life can get really hard when you've got so many things that you're juggling and uh, it's easy to just look at something from your own perspective and in any relationship, but especially in marriage, it's the perfect 
you know, opportunity and, and ground to be forced to look at something from another person's perspective and find value in it. Because if you can't find value in your spouse's perspective, uh, then there are deeper, like rooted problems that probably need to be figured out. I obviously value Lex's opinion greatly. And also, let me just say that earlier, uh, earlier that day, I had overheard someone's conversation talking about how <laughs> marriage was a horrible, uh, a horrible thing that everyone should avoid marriage as much as possible, that it was just a terrible union. And uh, that was that was kind of their perspective. Right. And then flip flip over to uh, after Lex and I worked through our frustrations and were able to get on the same page and then talk through the, the, the difficult things. Right. Because um, just because we're on the same team doesn't mean we're always going to see things from the same angle. And so we talked about it and it was a hard conversation, one that we both wanted to be a part of. Um, but we had to talk about what's happening at work or or am I oh, am I over prioritizing my career versus our family? You know, and from my perspective, I was like, no, I would give up my career tomorrow if I felt like it was impeding our abilities. Anyway, I could go on and on because, again, this is a really pivotal moment right now. So it's something that's very top of mind. But I don't want to just ramble away. I, I, this consider your ways, to me, hits hard in the fact that take time, right? We're about to enter the new year. And I love, I love the new year, every new year, because it's an opportunity for me to evaluate how did my year go? Who am I right now? At this point in time, who am I? And how do I want to be different in one year's time? Um, I think we should do it a lot more often than the new year, but a new year is a great opportunity to do this. So I hope you will consider your ways. Consider your life. What and and be real. You got to be real with yourself because I think there's either, in general, the pendulum swings too far one way. And that way is either you're too negative about yourself, you're too hard on yourself, you look at your life and you're like, oh, I'm not even where I want to be, my life is horrible, I've made so many mistakes, or, or oh, if I just would have done this, this, and that, my life would be so much different, but it'll never be that way, and blah, 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 and you, you kind of sink into this state of despair. Or on the flip side, you're way too positive with yourself and you tell yourself, I'm doing fantastic and I don't need to change. There's nothing about me that's wrong or there's nothing I can improve on. I am exactly where I want to be. If you're exactly where you want to be right now, I will let you know that you're probably doing something wrong. There's nothing wrong with saying that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be right now, but this life is meant to be a constant improvement. We are supposed to be striving for, for, for perfection and again, we should not become discouraged or depressed when we're not there. And on the flip side, we should not get complacent because we aren't there. And so find that, find that solid in-between space, the space where you can be honest. Um, I can tell you that one thing that has been right in front of my face is that I overpromise things to people. I love to be there for people. Um, it brings me joy. It fills my own bucket. When I can be there for someone, whether it's like physically like someone's moving or someone needs their driveway shoveled or, or whatever it is, I love to be of service to people. And I also love to be of service to people emotionally. If someone's like, Dawn, I just need to talk to you. I need some counsel. I could just use a comforting soul. I love being there. It fills my bucket more than it fills the person who's asking for my help. 
And so it's almost like a selfish thing for me where I'm like, I would love to serve you. Let me serve you. Um, because it really feels this need I have to feel almost important, right? I, I feel important when I'm helping other people. That is how I feel valued. Unfortunately, I often overpromise myself to people when, and then I, I forget my priorities, like my family, right? Because they don't, often like my wife and my kids, they don't say, Dalton, we need you. They, they shouldn't have to. But because I don't hear the words, Dalton, I need you, I can often forget that they do need me just as I need them. And so I've been considering my ways. How have I overpromised myself, whether it's at work, whether it's in a church calling, whether it's with my friends or acquaintances or, or anything, any number of things, which again, all of these things should be priorities. But you have to order your priorities and you have to make sure that you're balancing. At the end of the day, for me, my number one priority is am I ser serving the Lord? the way I'm supposed to be serving the Lord. That's my number one. And my number two is, am I taking care of my family the way that they need to be taken care of? Those are my top two priorities. I have no problem making those. Um, and they're often very aligned. Typically what the Lord needs me to do, be doing is exactly what my family needs me to be doing. There have been rare occasions where sometimes what the Lord needs me to be doing is not what my family needs, but otherwise it is very aligned. And typically what we find is that as long as I've aligned with what the Lord needs, turns out that what he needed actually does end up prioritizing my family. So it, it, it all works out in the end. Um, but those are my top two. And after that, I can, I can be honest and say that it gets really blended all over. Sometimes it's work. Sometimes it's, you know, like taking care of like my parents' needs or, or my sister's needs or, or my, any of my in-laws or sometimes it's my friend's. Uh, all of these things, right? But it's not a clear-cut list. All I know is my number one and my number two, as long as I can take care of those two, typically everything works out. I've, I've, I've talked this to death, so I'm going to move on. The, section two is the Lord can make me holy. And there's only one scripture I really want to share here. Zechariah 3, verse 9, it says, For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. My question is how? How will the iniquity be removed in one day? Uh, by the way, I'm pretty positive this is talking about the second coming and uh, when the Lord returns. So how will the iniquity be removed from the land when he comes? Uh, I believe it'll be remo removed by fire. One, because the scriptures tell us it'll be removed by, by fire. But also, um, just like during Noah's time when the, the earth was cleansed by water, we know that then a baptism is not complete unless the gift of the Holy Ghost is also given. So the earth is uh, the earth's baptism is not complete, meaning the earth needs to receive the Holy Ghost still, which means it'll have to be cleansed by fire. So that's just one thing to think about. It also says in this, it says, uh, Sister Carol F. McConkie taught, holiness is making the choices that will keep the Holy Ghost as our guide. So with those two things kind of paired together, with how do we become holy? We need to have the, the Holy Ghost as our constant companion, as our guide, and then also both the figurative and literal fire. Um, the Holy Ghost cleanses us. It'll cleanse the earth. It should cleanse us. And I could 
pontificate upon this, and I mean that in the definition of the word, meaning this obnoxious <laughs> opinion that goes on and on. I could pontificate for a while. I think, let me just sum up. In my life right now, I am feeling the burnings of the Holy Ghost um, shape me, and because it's not just uh, sin that will be burned away. Of course, I'm sure I'm also feeling those burnings too. Um, but also our imperfections and growth. I had a mentor just recently, you know, teach me that in life we go through a lot of growth periods. And he, he took a box, he, he drew a box on this whiteboard and he drew growth in the middle. And then on top of that box, he drew another box, but this box was offset. Um, so that it was kind of like half was on the box, the first box and the other half was off. And then he drew a third box and same pattern, right? It was like almost making steps. And he drew growth in every single one. And he said, um, Dalton, you have, you are in a period of growth right now. He's like, but you're coming to the end of it. You've learned all these things. You've learned everything that you needed to of this period of time. He's like, you will enter into a new period of growth. He's like, you will take the lessons you learned from this first box and be able to take them to the second box. But not everything... Uh, will apply, or it won't apply the way that you had done it before. And there will be opportunities that are going to stretch you. They're going to be painful, but you're going to learn a lot. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. And there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to look back and say, man, I wish I would have done this different, just as you felt like in the first box, right? He's like, but now you're at the end and you figured out how to do everything and you've overcome all these obstacles and you feel great. He's like, in the second box, you're going to go through it again. It's going to be painful. There's going to be times where it's going to stretch you, stretch you to your max. He's like, as you go through this, the time will come when you're back to where you are right now. You're, you're, you've made it through this growth. You've learned so much. You've applied all these things, and you're comfortable. And he's like, that's when you will enter into the next box. He's like, you will go through that through your life. And I've really thought about that because um, through my personal study and through my prayers, I can't explain how yet, since I'm not exactly sure. I'm only at the beginning of this, but the Lord has made clear to me that um, that as, as my mentor had said, I am definitely at the end of one period of growth. I felt very comfortable. Um, I've learned a lot of things that I've been able to apply and um, haven't felt too stretched for a good minute. And it's been it's been lovely. I've loved it. Let me just be honest. But I it's been fantastic. I feel like, while I don't know what it is, the next period of growth in my life is going to be incredibly painful. Incredibly painful in the sense of it's going to push me to the... Uh, it's going to push me out of the comfort zone, push me into the growth zone, but this growth zone is what I feel like, because I, I don't know, but the feeling I have is that it's the growth zone I've wanted to avoid <laughs> for a while, working on things that I didn't want to work on or didn't want to have to work on, I suppose. Um, and whatever that is, the Lord has let me know that now's the time and um, the opportunities are going to come that are going to stretch me. There's going to be times where I'm just ready to break. And those will be the opportunities that I have to turn to the Lord and, and plead for his help and his guidance. Uh, 
I think sometimes in our lives, those those these opportunities they just surprise us, right? They come unexpectedly. I don't know which is uh, better or worse to just be surprised and to be in it, or to have the impending feeling like something's coming that um, <laughs> it's going to stretch you and grow you. I don't know. I'll let you know maybe after whenever I figure out what it is and what hits me. If I survive it, I'll t- I'll tell you. I'll let you know because again. This is just through my own study and prayer, um, kind of the small inklings of the Holy Ghost letting me know, which is not helpful, but I don't know. Maybe it helps you. Maybe you're in the exact same period of time right now. And if you're not, get ready because it'll probably be coming. I don't think any of us escape. As saints, none of us escape the growth zone. So again, I pontificated enough. I said I wouldn't. I just did. The final thing I want to talk about is Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. And amen, that's true. There are two scriptures in particular that I thought stood out as uh, as far as like how the Old Testament prophesied that Christ was coming, but that I found more interesting. In Zechariah 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, uh, the foal of an ass. Um this is random, but Lex refuses to say, uh, whenever we're reading the scriptures together, she refuses to say uh, ass, like, you know, donkey. Refuses to say it. And it's one of the most endearing things. I mean, I think you should, it's in the scripture, so you're fine. But she refuses, and it's so endearing because <laughs> just a lot of things. Anyway, uh, yeah, so if you've ever wondered where this prophecy comes from, or like, because the Lord in the New Testament talks about how in this day, like he's going to fulfill the prophecy. If you wonder where that prophecy came from or what he's talking about, he's referring to this, to Zechariah. And then in Zechariah 11, 12 to 13, and I said unto them, if ye think good, give me my price. And if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price, 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. And that is prophesying Judas's betrayal. The interesting thing here is that the Lord uh, obviously knew he was going to be betrayed because he says so in the New Testament. But it wasn't just that he knew it. I mean, he had studied it too. He had had the scriptures. He had the, the words of the prophets before him. And so he would have been able to study that out also, which I just find super unique, right? It's like... Um, applying the scriptures. It's a lesson about applying the scriptures. As we read, we can literally take these stories. While he could quite literally take the story and apply it to his life, we can do the same though. I mean, that's the, it's the master example of you may be going something through your your life right now, but as you, as you pray before you study and pray that the Lord will reveal the scriptures to you in a way that's a roadmap for your life, you can have experiences. I've had them, so that's how I'm able to bear testimony of this, you can have experiences that uh, are literally as if the Lord wrote the scripture for you that very day, for the very thing you're going through. And and you get more out of it as you make a better habit of both, A, praying before you start your study, and B, studying constantly, study every day, not just once in a while or or whatever, because then you learn how the, the scriptures jump out at you. Right? You got to learn the Lord's voice, learn how the Holy Ghost speaks to you. And that takes energy, it takes practice, and it takes time. 
You cannot avoid the time investment that is required to develop that relationship. Much like you cannot avoid any other relationship doing the sacrifice of time and energy and getting to know someone. Uh, And then finally, Zechariah 12, verses 2 to 3. Let's talk about the second coming. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about. When they shall uh, be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem, and in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. In the second coming, God will protect his people. Um, If when I talked about how, in section two, how is the, the Lord going to cleanse the earth, and I believe, but also the scriptures say, that the the earth will be cleansed by fire. If you're like, oh my gosh, what about me? You will be protected if you are uh, living your life right, seeking after God and following his ways and his prophet. If you are doing those things, you will be protected. God protects his people. Uh, We have no reason to fear or tremble about the, the second coming of the Lord. Quite the opposite. We should be taking our responsibility that we have to help prepare the earth for his second coming. It'll be a glorious event. And if you care about your friends, if you care about your loved ones, then you have the responsibility to help them prepare. So you first need to prepare yourself. You need to, again, like I just said, develop that relationship with the Holy Ghost, something that I'm working on, something that I have to repent constantly about, um, because I don't always give the sacrifice of time and energy. And I'm working on it. I'm getting better at it. Sometimes I'm getting worse at it, and then I consider my ways, and then I get better at it. And that is the constant process that we can all go through. But we have a responsibility to prepare the earth. And I invite you to consider your ways on how you are helping to prepare for the Lord's second coming. So that's my uh, invitation to you. And then my question, we're coming to the end. We've got Malachi, you know, that we'll talk about, and then it's the Christmas lesson. So two lessons left, then we're done. And we'll go to the New Testament. As we finish the Old Testament, how has your relationship changed with God? How has your study of the scriptures changed? And how... How has your opinion of the Old Testament changed? I think in the very first lesson, I talk about, um, all the way back in January, I talked about how the Old Testament can be a scary place, can be a, you know, it typically gets this bad rep for uh, being this very confusing and complicated book. And I really hope that as we've gone through it, as we've gone through the Come Follow Me, um, and been able to go through these lessons, especially as they've highlighted the least confusing or the least complicated stories of the Old Testament, as we've gone through this, I hope for you, as has happened for me, that you will be able to look back and say, you know what, the Old Testament isn't as scary as I thought back in January. And now when it's referred to in the New Testament, because as we go into the New Testament, the Old Testament is what they were pulling from. It's, It's Christ refers to the Old Testament constantly because those were his scriptures, right? He didn't have the New Testament. He was creating it. 
So ponder that. Think about that. And ask yourself the question, how have you been changed because of the Old Testament? But otherwise, thank you for joining my fam room discussion. And until we meet again, have a blessed week.